Morning, church. How are you this morning? Yes, finally, somebody's awake this morning. That's awesome. Hey, if you got a Bible, raise them up above your head this morning. Love to see this all across the room. Love that sight. Open up to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, as you're turning there, obviously, I am not Tim Harris. I did not run 17 miles this morning, but uh, I'm privileged to be able to borrow his pulpit for a Sunday morning. My name is Mac. My wife, Chelsea, and I moved here a couple years ago, and I get the distinct privilege to crisscross the country proclaiming the name of Jesus to teenagers all over America, and so I'm grateful that Tim uh, asked me to be here this morning uh, with you, and I love what, where Tim's been in the series of, uh, yeah, let's get that thing on, man. That'd be good. Let's watch some TV. Um, series about prayer. I love where we've been in the series about prayer, and I think that it, it it rolls right into where I want to go this morning, what I think we need to look at this morning, which is the idea of walking in God's will. It's the idea of that, that, that okay, so we're, we're praying, which is so needed and so necessary, but what does it look like for us to walk in the will of God as we leave this place? Because if we're honest this morning, for many of us, we come in this place expecting to encounter God. But when we leave this place, maybe our expectation to encounter the Father drops a little bit. Maybe we don't really expect to encounter God as we leave this place. And so walking in God's will requires three things of us. And so if you've got something to write with and something to write down on this morning, I would encourage you to take notes. Just as we look at this story that's all familiar to, all many, to many of you, the story of Moses and the burning bush. And in order to understand where we're going this morning, we've got to see where we've come from. So here's what you need to know about Moses. Moses was obviously a Hebrew child, uh, a person of Israel. At this point in time, uh, Pharaoh was worried that the, the Israelites, that the, the Hebrews were going, to, uh, were going to multiply so much in number that they would join the enemy's army. And so he, he tried different various tactics and strategies to try to, uh, to suppress them so that maybe they wouldn't multiply in number. He gave them a lot of tasks. He enslaved them. And none of that seemed to work. They continued to multiply in number. And so he put an edict out that said that any Hebrew child that was born that was a male, he should be killed. And so he was telling that to the, uh, to the midwives that, that would be there, uh, that, that would be at the birth of, with these Hebrew mothers, and, and told them, hey, if it's a female, allow her to live. If it's a male, you need to kill him. They obviously feared the Lord more than they feared Pharaoh, so they didn't do this. And uh, so Pharaoh gained... Uh, got increasingly more upset about this. And so he put the edict in place that everybody should know about this, that everybody, everybody knew that, that if there was a Hebrew child born and it was a male, that they should be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. And so this edict was in place, that, that every uh, male child that's born should be thrown into the river and drowned. And so Moses' mother knew about this, and so when she gave birth to her son and saw that it was her son, uh, she hid him for about three months. And then he obviously got so, so large she couldn't hide him no longer, so she made a basket. And what was the basket made out of? We, we all know the story. Made, yeah, right, it's made out of reeds, right? And so it made this basket out of weeds, wove this basket together, placed Moses in the basket, and, and placed him in the reeds in the river. Some would say that they sent him down the river. But regardless, he's there in the reeds in the river. Pharaoh's daughter comes down, finds them, finds, sees the basket across the way. She's coming down to bathe in the river, sees the basket across the way, sends her servant to go get the basket, which obviously has Moses inside the basket. 
They get the they get the basket, see that it has Moses. She sends it to a Hebrew woman to nurse until he was beyond nursing age, and then she took Moses as her son. So I don't know if you see what's happening here, but you have Moses, who is Hebrew, who is a children, uh, who is a child of Israel, that's born, but now has been adopted into the royal family in Egypt. So now, by adoption's sake, he has become Egyptian. So he's not born Egyptian, but now he has become Egyptian. And so now we have Moses as he's as he is the Pharaoh's daughter's son, which would make him the prince of Egypt. So very rapidly we see what's happened, that Moses is now the prince of Egypt. And so Moses, as not being born an Egyptian, yet still becomes the prince of Egypt. We know that God has got great things for his life. And so at this point, Moses is about 40 years old as he's the prince of Egypt, right? At the time when many people would say that a lot of stuff, that if he was going to do anything for the kingdom of God, that he should be doing it while he's the prince of Egypt. Well, Moses does do something while he's the prince of Egypt. He sees an Egyptian and a Hebrew fighting. He, knowing that he is a Hebrew himself, takes the side of the Hebrew man, kills the Egyptian man, buries the Egyptian man in the sand, hoping that nobody saw him do that. Come to find out, obviously somebody did. And then the Pharaoh found out, and Pharaoh wants to kill him. And so what does Moses do? Moses runs away. So now Moses, 40 years old, prince of Egypt, flees to the middle of nowhere, to a town called Midian, where he would meet a woman and marry her and begin to work for his father-in-law, who happened to be a hillbilly. You say, Mac, how do you know he's a hillbilly? His name is Jethro. And so he's working for his hillbilly father-in-law, Jethro, as a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. So picture this. You've got the prince of Egypt who now is, a, is, is uh, uh, on the run, fleeing for his life. And, and he's, he's now a shepherd in this town of Midian out in the middle of nowhere. And so where we pick up our story, 40 years have passed. So Moses was 40, and now 40 more years have passed. So can you guys help me out with the math? How old is Moses at this point? He's about 80 years old at this point. He's about 80 years old at the point when we pick up our story. And I love this story. You guys have all, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's a very familiar story to you, but I love what we can learn from Moses about what it looks like to walk in the will of God. We can learn so much from him. Let's check it out right here. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Come on, 11 o'clock. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of fire in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Okay, so here's Moses, and he's walking by this place that he walks by all the time. I mean, I don't know how much land... Uh, Jethro had, but I would imagine that he had a lot of land, and even if he didn't have a lot of land, either way, Moses has walked by this place so many times, I and mean, he's been here for 40 years, right? He's been here for 40 years a, a, as the shepherd, so there, there's no doubt in my mind that he's walked by this mountain, he's walked by this bush time after time after time after time, and never noticed anything, but then all of a sudden, on this day, he notices something different. He sees that, that, that there's a bush that's on fire, but he doesn't see any smoke. He sees, he sees flames, but he sees green leaves. You see, it was different, and he noticed it being different. 
And Moses begins to do what I think many of us do when we spend a lot of time alone together. Now, let's be honest. Moses has spent 40 years as a shepherd in the middle of the wilderness. I mean, he spent a lot of time alone, right? So he begins to talk to himself, right? And so Moses is just walking by, and all of a sudden, he sees this bush that's on fire, but no smoke, flames, but green leaves, and he, thought, he thinks it's weird. And so I can just see him saying this out loud, right? What it says right here in verse number 3, and Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I can just see Moses having walked by it, and he goes, is that a bush? Is that a bush on fire? I am going to turn around and see if this bush is actually on fire. And he turns around, right? He turns around, and I want you go, Mac, why is that significant for me? Why is that significant for us to know that it wasn't until Moses turned around, notice what happens, verse number four, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see. So what happened? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. So what happened that caused God to call out to him? What happened? Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, he was standing on the ground. But, but what actually happens in our story? That's exactly right. I want to talk about that in a second. What happens in the story? What, what happened? He turned around. Moses actually turned around. He turned around to know. So now, now, he could have just walked p- past this bush and gone, man, it's a bush on fire. I'm going crazy. And just kept walking, as many of us would do. It would be normal for you and for me. He could have walked by. But notice what happens, that God doesn't call out to Moses until Moses turns around to acknowledge the presence of God. So if you want to know what it looks like to walk in the will of God, point number one this morning, very simple. Walking in the will of God requires us to, point number one, acknowledge God's presence. Acknowledge God's presence. If you're taking notes, you got something to write with, something to write down on, write that down this morning. Walking in the will of God requires us to acknowledge God's presence. You see, for many of us, we came in here this morning, it would not be abnormal for us. In fact, it was probably absolutely normal for us to come in here acknowledging the presence of God in this place. We came here expecting to see God move, right? That's why, or I hope that that's what we did as we came into this church building. But my question to you is, as you go back to the mundane, ordinary life, like the desk that you sit at every week, when you go back Tuesday, you don't have to go tomorrow, it's, it's July 4th, praise God, but you do have to go on Tuesday. And so when you go back into work on Tuesday... I just wonder how many of you are going to be looking for God in that place. When that coworker that will not stop talking comes and sits down and talks to you again, how many of you are looking for God in that place? When you sit at that, that desk that you set up for years, when, 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 when your kids are still running around with all their clothes off, despite the fact they're supposed to put their clothes on to go to the store, and you can't get them round up. Right? Are you looking for God in that place? Because you see, for Moses, what he understood is that if we're going to walk in the will of God, we've got to acknowledge the presence of God. He saw something supernatural and it had only one explanation. And that explanation was what? That it was who? God. There's only one explanation. But for many of us, we'll see something out of the ordinary and just sort of dismiss it. We'll go into work not even expecting to see God there. Church, if I can just be so bold this morning... I think our worship happens a lot more when we leave this place and we actually go and we actually look for God in the mundane. I, I don't, it's not, it's, it's normal for us to stand in here and sing praise to God. But the question is, what are you doing when, when you're not in this building? What are you doing when you're not in here? Because according to scripture, this is not the church you are. And the question is, is, is the way you're conducting yourself, the way you handle certain circumstances or situations, are you acknowledging the presence of God in there? Because if not, then there's no way for you to walk in the will of God. 
If you're just waiting on to come in here on a Sunday morning to hear what, to hear what God has said to Tim every Sunday or, or, or throughout that week, and, and you're not at all taking what is God saying to me out in, into what you do every day, then how do you expect to walk in the will of God? Moses is in the midst of a mundane day, in the middle of a mundane life, somewhere he had been over and over and over again, when suddenly he notices a bush but no smoke, flames but green leaves. This is something supernatural and had only one explanation, and that explanation was God. God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. You see, when God shows up, everything changes. That bush had been the same bush forever. At the, at the base of the same mountain forever. But on that day, something was different. Why? Because God showed up. And notice what God's response to Moses is when he answers. He says, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Verse number five. Then he said, do not come, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. I have a buddy of mine that travels and speaks like I do. But he's been doing it for a lot longer than I have. He's 30-something years. He's been traveling and speaking. If you've been to any youth camp in the country, chances are that you have heard this guy preach. And the way that you know, without me even saying his name, the way you know is because I always thought it was so weird. Everybody always thought it was so weird. But every time he preached, he would take his shoes off before he went up on stage. And this is the reason why. Because you see, for him, he, he, that, was the, that was the hundredth stage he had been on that year. This was the mundane place. But for him, what he was hoping is that, that, that there would be a, a bush on fire on this place. That for those people that were listening, that this moment would be a bush on fire. That, that God would move in such a way that it would change the life. In the midst of his mundane, he wanted to see a burning bush. And so he went ahead and took his shoes off. I hope this is holy ground. And he, he, just, he just went ahead and took his shoes off. And last year, he was preaching at a camp in Oklahoma, contracted COVID, and died two weeks later. But I can promise you this, that the people that went to that place and watched the dude preach with no shoes on had some experience with God, like, like a bush was on fire but didn't burn. Why? Because they acknowledged the presence of God in that place. They acknowledged the presence of God. And so if we're going to walk in God's will, we've got to acknowledge the presence of God, even in the midst of our mundane life, doing the same thing that you do over and over and over again. You've got to acknowledge the presence of God in that. You've got to acknowledge when God shows up in there, it can't just be, oh, that's kind of weird. No, you've got to acknowledge the presence of God. So he calls out to him, and Moses probably knows what God's going to ask him to do. Moses begins to get terrified, verse number 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, who have heard their cry because they're taskmasters. Obviously, at this point, Pharaoh has enslaved all of God's people. Verse number 8, And I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Preziites, the Begobites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You guys catch that? You'll get it, you'll get it on Tuesday. Verse number 9, And now, behold, 
The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So God, it tells us earlier that God heard Israel's groaning. He saw them. He heard his people. And so now he's about to call a man to go and and, and deliver his people. So if you know the story like I know the story, we know that he's about to call call, uh, Moses to go back to the man, Pharaoh, who is is hunting Moses. Moses, remember, Moses ran away at age 40. He's now age 80. He ran away. Why? Because he murdered a dude and buried him in the sand. And so Pharaoh got mad and wanted to kill him. And so Moses is like, cool, I'll go out in the middle of nowhere. I'll meet some lady, start working for her family, and that'll be cool. And in the middle of that, in the middle of the mundane, God... God's about to call him to go back to the guy who's looking to kill him and say, hey, dude, uh, listen, I know you're trying to kill me, and that's cool, but if you could spare my life for just one second, got to tell you something, uh, let all these people go. God's about to ask him to do that. You go, that's crazy. That's crazy. I was preaching a camp a couple weeks ago, and the theme of, uh, of that particular camp was strangers. It's the whole idea that you and I as born-again believers are strangers in a foreign land. The you and I as born again believers, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we're considered uh, Christ's ambassadors. If you know what an ambassador means, that makes a lot of sense. An ambassador speaks on behalf of their homeland in a foreign land. Do you understand that what you and I, the task that you and I are born with, the reason we're created is to speak on behalf of our homeland, heaven, and a foreign land of the earth? That's the whole reason that we exist. So when God is asking Moses to do when he's unveiling his plan to Moses and asking him to do this thing that seems crazy to us, yeah, it should. Why? Strangers do strange things. you got to understand, church, God is going to ask you to do some crazy things in this life. And you have two options. You can ignore God's plan or you can agree with God's plan. That's point number two this morning. So how does it, what does it look like to walk in the will of God? You've got to acknowledge God's presence and point number two, agree with God's plan. You can ignore God's plan or you can agree with God's plan. You go, Mac, if I don't agree with God's plan, does that mean that his plan doesn't happen on this earth? Absolutely not. God's plan is not going to be thwarted by you and your disobedience to him. God is going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Understand this, that if Moses had still been prince of Egypt, God would have called a different shepherd to go and deliver the people. If Moses had said no, God would have delivered somebody else to go to, or God would have given the message to go, to, to go free the people to somebody else. I don't know about you, but all I can imagine is the terrifying feeling that I would get when I get to heaven one day and God greets me, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then he says, hey, listen, so glad you're here. But I want you to see all that I had for you. And he unveils every single thing that God asked me to do that I ignored because it didn't make sense. That God asked me to do, the person that he asked me to go talk to, that annoying person at work (laughs) that nobody can stand. Maybe God's asking you to do something about that. You see, for Moses, he acknowledged God's presence But now he's at the place where he's got to agree with God's plan. And don't get it twisted. Moses doesn't agree easily. Moses, in fact, offers God a lot of excuses as to why this can't happen. Why he's not the one to go, right? Moses begins to offer a lot of excuses. He begins to say things like, like, 
oh, you don't, you don't want me to go, right? And he's, he's thinking about all the, all the things that, that he had said and, and, and all the things that he can't say. But you've got to understand, Moses was 80 when he was called to do what he was created to do all along. Moses was 80 years old when God finally called him to do what he created him to do all along. You go back, how do you know? How do you know he was created to do that all along? Well, did anybody else do it? This is the thing Moses was created. We know what he did, right? What did he do? He, he, he parted the sea, right? God used him to lead the people out of slavery, parting the sea. You guys remember when Tim did that message and judges about the dude who lost his sword and the, and the big guy? You remember that? Tim said stuff on here on the stage that I'm not going to say in Tim's place. You remember that? Yeah. yeah, okay. And so you remember that guy that he said he saw the stones? And then that's when he went back and killed the guy. He remembered what had happened. Those stones are, where are those stones? You, you understand, like, these are all stones to remember what had happened before. Well, this is something that has happened before. And, and, so, and so Moses led the people through the water. Do, do you know what Moses' name actually means? Drawn out of water. You see, before you were ever thought of, by your mom or your dad. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Before time began, he created you. And so God knew the plan Moses knew the plan for Moses' life. I mean, listen, Moses should have died. Moses should have died at birth, but God. And so you sit in here and you go, okay, Mac, yeah, I get it, but but like, but agree with God's plan. What can I do? I'm just a teenager. What can I do? I'm just, a, I'm just a, a secretary. What can I do? I'm just a teacher. I'm just a law. What can I do? I, I can't do any. What, what can I do? You see, that's where we miss it. Do we have the slides? Can we? Maybe not right here, but up there for sure. We, yeah, we think that our present determines our purpose, but in reality, it's God's presence that defines our path. We think that our present determines our purpose, but in reality, it's God's presence that defines our path. Do you understand that whatever God's going to call you to do has absolutely nothing to do where you, with where you are in life right now? It has absolutely nothing to do with where you are in life right now. You may look around and go, what can God do with me here? It doesn't matter. Hello, Moses, for 40 years, had been wandering around the wilderness as a shepherd. Would it not have made more sense, according to our finite human minds, for God to have used him when he was prince of Egypt? Would that not have made more sense? But you see, influence in our eyes is not the same as influence in God's eyes. It doesn't make any sense. We think our present determines our purpose, but in reality, it's God's presence in our life that defines our path. You see, we try to take our influence. Go to the next one. We try to take our influence through the outrageous, meanwhile, God makes our influence through obedience. We try to take our influence through the outrageous, meanwhile, God makes our influence through obedience. You go, Mac, what are you talking about? Listen, that's what culture tells you to do. It's to gain influence with the important people in your life so that you can get a better life for yourself. You do, what you, you do things that you wouldn't normally do. You go places you wouldn't normally go. You say things you wouldn't normally say. All why? Because you're trying to curry favor with this person. Because you're trying to gain influence. And so really, if you look at it, and somebody that knew you well, knew the core of who you were, would look at you and go, that's outrageous. And so the truth is, is that we try to take our influence through the outrageous. Meanwhile, God's trying to make our influence through our obedience. All God's asking us to do is to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. That's it. 
Just whatever he asks us to do, just to be obedient to that. You go, Mac, what if he hasn't asked me to do anything? There's a Bible full of stuff that he asks you to do. And so many of us live contrary to everything we know in Scripture. Why? Because we can get ahead in life. Because it's more comfortable. Because it's easy. And I would just say that maybe the reason that we don't look for God, we don't acknowledge the presence of God in our workplace is because we're comfortable there. Man, we're comfortable. It's been the same as it's been forever. Do you not think Moses was comfortable in what he was doing? I mean, literally, all he has to do is ten sheep. Now he has to lead thousands of people out of captivity through a sea. I mean, he's got to confront the guy who wants to kill him. Would it not have been easier for Moses just to go, uh, you know what, I think I'm just going to tend to some more sheep? Of course it would have. Of course it would have. But he chose not to. He, he acknowledged God's presence and then he agreed with God's plan. Moses is way overqualified to be, a, to be a shepherd. But if he hadn't been there, maybe someone else gets that plan. It doesn't matter how useless or pointless we see our current situation or circumstance. God can use it for his purpose in a moment's notice. I mean, do you think he sent like a two weeks notice to Moses? He goes, hey, in two weeks, dude, you need to be over here by this bush. I'm going to set it on fire. It's going to look weird, but I'm going to need to meet with you there. I'm going to send you, send you something else to do. Absolutely not. I mean, Moses, it was just a normal Tuesday for Moses. He's just walking around tending the sheep, and all of a sudden, his life changed just like that. It doesn't matter the circumstances or situation you find yourself in. God can use whatever it is for his glory in a moment's notice. In a moment's notice. Moses should have been killed. But God, uh, think about this. You guys know, you guys know uh, Zacchaeus? You remember Zacchaeus? A wee little man was he? He climbed up into the sycamore tree to what? See what he could see, right? You guys have all been to VBS. I appreciate that. You guys know the Pharaoh, Pharaoh song? Do you guys know that one? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. Yeah, okay. Good. You're, only 11 o'clock has been there. Eight, eight, 9.30. Had no clue what else. I look like a moron up here. Yeah, so Zacchaeus, right? So Zacchaeus climbed up into a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Remember that? Check this out. Well, look up there. Yeah, way before Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, a tree was planted so his need would be met in that exact moment. I mean, think about it. Like, God knew that in that exact moment, Zacchaeus would need that tree. So way before that was even thought about, way before that was even a plan, way before that was even anything that was going on in Zacchaeus' mind, there was a tree planted so that in that exact moment when he needed to see Jesus, he had a way. I'm just telling you, we worry too much about the stuff we don't control. If God's going to call you to do something, guess what? He's going to equip you to do it. Because God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. He's not asking, do you have the ability to do that? He's saying, hey, are you, do you have the availability to do that? Are you willing to go if I ask you to go? That's all he cares about. And so we see Moses being called to do something crazy. Verse number 13. Then Moses says to God, if I come to the people out of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, I don't know if you noticed, but what Moses is doing right here is he's just kind of stalling, right? So this is a stall tactic for him. He's like, man, maybe if I can find some questions to ask God, uh, maybe I won't have to do this thing that he's asking me to do, this thing that I don't really want to do, but maybe I can just kind of get out of it. And so he's like, oh God, I bet you haven't thought about this. 
who, who are they going to believe? Like, they're not going to believe, I mean, me? I'm a murderer, right? I, I'm a fugitive. I'm a murdering fugitive. They don't want to listen to me, God. So who am I going to tell them? Like, they're going to think I'm a crazy person, right? Who am I going to tell them? And, and notice what God says. Verse number 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So what he's telling Moses is I am. Tell him I am. If you look up a couple of verses, notice what he says in verse 12. He, he said, but I will be with you. Because Moses is asking him another question, verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he's like, who am I? Look at me, I'm just a shepherd. I'm nobody. Who am I uh, in, in this place? What should I do? Verse 12, he said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Hello, God authored the story before it ever began. Do you know with the same mount, the same mountain, what mountain are we on right now? This is Mount Oreb. Do you know the you know another significant place? What, did, what else did Moses do? He led the people out, and then what else happened? What did he do? He delivered the what? Right, where did that happen? Mount Sinai. Guess what the same mountain is? It's Mount Oreb. Mount Sinai. Do you see? God authored the story. He doesn't need our help. God authored the story. He told him, he goes, hey, when you deliver the people, come back here because you'll meet me again here. He knew exactly what was going to happen. So why do we fight it? Why do we spend our entire life trying to do what we want to do when God's going, no, no, no. I'm asking you to do this. It's not that God's against us. It's that, dude, we're trying to fight against the power of God in our life. And so he says to Moses, he says, I am, and he, earlier he said, I will be. I will be with you. It's the same thing he said to Moses in chapter 4, verse 10, when Moses, again, brings an excuse to God. Oh, God, but I stutter. I can't talk. Listen to what he says, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the, pa either in the past or since you have spoken to, your, to me, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And so what he tells Moses, he goes, dude, I am, that is, I created this, I am everything, and he says, I will be with you. So what he's saying is that the same God that created the universe, that knit you together in your mother's womb, that numbered the stars in the heavens, oh, by the way, there's so many stars in the heavens that if every person on this planet had a million-volume library at their house of books, there would not be enough pages for you to write down all the names of the stars. That same God that created that vast universe that knit you together in your mother's womb, he says, listen, if I ask you to do something, I'm going with you. I'm going to go with you. And so he goes, dude, what can I do, God? Who am I going to tell him? You tell him, I am sent you, and I will be with you. You don't worry about the words. I will give them to you. Don't worry about any of that. You see, what Moses is doing is going, God, can I be excused? And God says, no, you can't be excused. You can be equipped. You see, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He's going to give you the power to do what he's asked you to do. So what does it look like to walk in the will of God? It means to acknowledge God's presence. It means to agree with God's plan. And point number three this morning, it means to awaken to God's power. You've got to awaken to the power of God in your life. You've got to awaken to the power of God, realizing that if God has called you to do something, if God has asked you to do something, he is going to give you the power to get it done. 
It's not about your skills or your abilities. It's all about the power of God in your life. It's all about what God desires to do through you and what God desires to get done in your life. But Moses, I mean, think about it. He, he was probably scared of what God was asking him to do. God, you really want me to go back to this dude who, who's trying to kill me, who I've been running from for 40 years? You want me to go to him and deliver the people? There's no way, God, I can't do it. One of my favorite authors on the planet is a guy who's just got, he just writes stuff down in a very simple way, writes everything written in, in story form. It's, it's really cool. Bob Goff is his name. And he said this. He said, don't let what you're scared of keep you from what you were made for. Don't let what you're scared of keep you from what you were made for. You can't let what you're scared of keep you from what you're made for. For Moses, I bet he was scared to death. I got to go back to the guy who wants to kill me? I'm scared to death. But if he had allowed what he was afraid of keep him from what he was made for, we wouldn't even know about Moses. It would be somebody else. There'd be some other name. Some other weird name that I can't think of off the top of my head. You know, something, something we don't even know. But because Moses was faithful to acknowledge God's presence, agree with his plan, and then awaken to the power, realizing it didn't have anything to do with him, we know who Moses is. We have a great story of Moses' life. So much so that what, what was said about Moses after the fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is known as like the hall of faith. It's like a hall of fame for, for people that are faithful. I mean, you guys know the story. Does that seem like a lot of faith? No, it wasn't a lot of faith. But because God had the power, God gave him the power to do that, and Moses finally got to the place where he was going to acknowledge that power of God in his life, his life appeared uber faithful. Check this out. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months from his parents. Verse 24, by faith, we were not, he was not afraid. Uh, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, by faith, by, by faith he left Egypt, not looking to be afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea onto dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. All these things happened by faith. Moses is known as a man of great faith. Why? Not because he had something that you don't have, but because Moses finally acknowledged the presence of God. He finally agreed with the plan of God, and he finally awakened to the power of God in his life. Not because he's better than you. Not because he's got something that you don't. But because he's done something that maybe you up to this point have not been willing to do. And that's acknowledge the presence of God in the mundane of your life. Agree with the plan of God when it seems scary. And awaken to the power of God, understanding that God's going to give me the power to do what he's asked me to do. I mean, think about Moses. Moses was a murderer, but God. Moses was slow in speech, but God. Moses was, Moses was an Egyptian, but God. Moses fled Egypt, but God. God can overcome all of that stuff. So if he can use Moses, he can use you. If he can use Moses, he can use me. And I just wonder, what would this area look like if we were a group of people who just decided one Sunday morning that we were going to acknowledge the presence of God in our life. That we were going to agree with his plan. And that we were going to awaken to his power. 
I'm just telling you, South Central Kentucky would never be the same again. Oh, but I'm retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moses was 80 when he was called to do what God had created him to do all along. Yeah, yeah, you're retired. Yeah, Moses was 80. Oh, but I'm 15. Yeah, yeah, Moses was 80. I'm just telling you, you have no clue what God wants to do in your life. Until you agree with his plan, until you awaken to his power, you've got to acknowledge his presence. I may not have run any miles this morning like undoubtedly Tim did wherever he's vacationing right now. But one thing Tim and I do share in common is the love for cutting the grass. I absolutely love to cut my grass. It's just a peaceful, I feel like I've accomplished something. No, I, I don't get any exercise. I, I ride on a lawnmower. But I just watch, I, I, just, I just cut that grass and I can look back and go, oh, that grass is cut. Like a sense of accomplishment. I've always loved to cut grass. When I was 16, I started a landscaping company just so I could go cut grass at other people's yards. And they paid me too. It was crazy. But I'm kind of neurotic when it comes to cutting grass. I cut all my grass the same way. I don't like the grass to sit in my yard, so a lot of people like would bag up their grass. I live on a street where people like to go 85 down the street. So... I like to cut all my grass the same way, all toward my driveway. When I get on my driveway, I like to put on my backpack blower and blow it down my driveway all the way to the road. Yeah, I'm that neighbor. People, two cars come by, it's already off the road, doesn't matter. But I didn't put it there, so it's fine at that point. And so I like to cut this grass while my wife is at work. Because my wife is way smarter than me, and she also thinks I'm an idiot for cutting my grass to the driveway and blowing it down to the street. So I like to cut it while she's at work. <laughs> but then one day, as I was cutting my grass, she got home from work a little early. I could see her sarcastic eye roll coming from a mile away. She pulled in, she rolled her eyes at me trying to blow the grass down the driveway. She went in the house. The whole process only takes me usually about an hour to cut my grass, weedy, blow it all to the street. I was already in the process of blowing the grass down the driveway and when she got home and she was inside for probably 30 minutes. She came back outside expecting me to have long been done, and she finds me at almost the exact same place that I was before. Because you see, where I live in Bowling Green, it's like a wind tunnel. It's either for you or against you. And that day, it happened to be against me. So there I am with my backpack blower, trying to blow the grass to the end of the street, and the wind just blowing it back in my face. It's getting in my ears. It's getting all in my hair. And you know me, I'm a man. No, I'm going to blow this to the street. This is going to the street. You're getting to the street. So there I am, backpack blower, just still, I've moved maybe four feet from the time she went inside to 30 minutes later. Stand there, wait on the wind to blow. It stops blowing. I blow it down the driveway a little bit. Out of the corner of my eye, I see her come back out the door. Now, I know what she's going to do. She wants me to look at her so that she can tell me I'm a moron. 
But I'm not going to give her that satisfaction because I know I'm a moron. But that grass is getting to the street. So I don't look at her. I see her standing there. Don't look at her. My wife is way smarter than I am, though. She knows that I've, I've got Apple Watch, which will get my text messages on my wrists. And she knows it is my habit that when it vibrates, I just check it. Is that a habit? I don't even mean to anymore. I just check it. So she pulls out her phone. Text three simple words. You're an idiot. Just out of habit, watch vibrated. I look at, oh, no. I looked at her. She was dying laughing. We laughed about it. Then she texts three more simple words. Just turn around. No, this is going to the street. See, if I turn around, I blow it into my backyard. I don't want to blow it in my backyard. I want it at the street. She went back inside. I tried for about 10 more minutes. Fed up with it. So I walked to the end of my driveway. I've been out there about 45 minutes to this point, trying to blow the grass down the end of my driveway. I walked down to the end of my driveway, turn around toward my backyard, the way the wind is blowing, and it takes me about 45 seconds to get the grass out of my driveway into the backyard. What I'd been trying to do for 45 minutes now only took me 45 seconds to get in my backyard. All I had to do to, was to turn around. And you see, church, here's the reality this morning. For many of you, you've been trying to do things the same way your entire life and seeing no results. And maybe, just maybe this morning, all God's asking you to do is just say, hey, why don't you turn around? Because what you've been doing your entire life is just going against the power of God in your life. But when you go with the power of God, man, it's amazing how much you can get done. And for some of you this morning, you just need to turn around. You need to quit trying to fight the power of God, quit trying to do things the way you want them done, and, and just it's time for you just to acknowledge God's presence, just to agree with his plan, and finally this morning to awaken to his power. And so church, I just beg you this morning, won't you just turn around? You have no clue what God's asking you to do. You have no clue the potential that you have when the power of God's behind you. Won't you just turn around? God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Grateful, God, that you choose to use us in spite of us. grateful that, that whatever you ask us to do, God, you're going to empower us to do it. That it's not dependent upon us and our abilities, but only upon our availability with you. Are we available to do what you've asked us to do? And so, God, I pray that, that we would respond according to your word this morning. That whatever you've said to us, God, that we would just be a people who would turn around. It's your holy name I pray. what it is for you, church. I don't know what turning around means for you. For some of you, you've been coming to this church for a long time. You've never joined this church. I can't think of any better place for you to join. You get a way better preacher every Sunday. 
that you did this. A man who loves you and cares about you, desires to shepherd you as he's been called by God. Maybe some of you, you can't have the power of God behind you because you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You see, it's more than just coming to this place on a Sunday morning. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never put your hope and your trust in him. Whatever it is, they're going to lead us in a song of response. And while they do so, this altar's open. Maybe you need to grab somebody and come and kneel at the altar. Maybe there's somebody that you've wronged in your life that's sitting in this room right now. Because you need to go and seek their forgiveness. Why? Because you know that's the first step. That's what God would ask you to do. Whatever it may be. Church, can we meet people that would just turn around? Why don't you stand with me this morning?